to the Mainline Podcast. I am recording live from the headquarters of the SEC, Birmingham, Alabama. Just happened to work <laughs> out uh, for me this week. But uh, my name is Adam Jacquez. I'm joined, uh, as always, by my good friend Tyler Burton. And we've got SEC opponents for the 2024 season. Just skip right over the 2023 season. We're going straight to 2024. And we've got a loaded schedule. We're going to discuss that. We're going to talk recruiting barbecue, a big weekend for recruiting coming up this weekend. Uh, And then, of course, we'll touch a little bit about uh, one of the best softball players ever to put on a Sooner uniform uh, with some some big news that just dropped earlier this week that everyone knows about. But I think we got some thoughts that we want to share there. But before we dive into any of that, Tyler, how are you doing? I'm good, Adam. Uh, who cares about the 2023 season? Let's just fast forward to 2024. Uh, if anybody out there was uh, part of the SEC schedule reveal show that just uh, that just made its way on the SEC network, everybody's fired up about it. Super excited. Uh, but yeah, Adam, things are good. Couldn't have picked a better week for you to be in Birmingham right now. Kind of funny how that works out, but things are good up here, man. Uh, Nuggets just won the NBA Finals. U.S. Open Golf Tournament starts tomorrow, and we got a little champion barbecue coming up this weekend in Norman. So things are good, man. Excited. Yeah, I really couldn't have picked a better week because I work with so many Alabama and Auburn fans, and it's going to be an interesting Ugh. conversation in the office tomorrow. I'm sure everyone's going to be wanting to chat my ear up on uh, if I'm going to go to Auburn or uh, you know how much Bama might beat OU by because uh, you know Bama fans they're they're confident as they should be uh, mm-hmm. with uh, the program that they've built up under Nick Saban. So let's dive in a little bit here. We can walk through each of these different opponents here, and and Tyler, I'll let you pick the order here. Maybe it's just we go by most interesting games here but OU gets gets eight uh SEC games one of those of course was going to be OU Texas we all knew that mm-hmm. I think a lot of people thought hey I was going to be Alabama maybe that's where we should start but OU hosting Alabama probably the biggest home game since at least Ohio State in 2016 <laughs> if, if maybe I'm not missing anybody there but I would have to say at least since Ohio State Yeah, absolutely. It's the biggest since Ohio State. We'll just kind of run through these, Adam, go down them one by one, obviously. Uh, We don't know which week uh, these games are going to be played on, but we do know the home and away opponents for Oklahoma's 2024 uh, inaugural season within the SEC. Obviously, Texas, neutral site down in Dallas. It's kind of unfortunate. Oklahoma is going to be the home team in 2024, so that takes away one of the home games that Oklahoma could have had in Norman. But you look at the three remaining SEC matchups that are going to be in Oklahoma, you know, Alabama, you've got Nick Saban coming back to, to take on Brent Venables. That's going to be a fantastic matchup Two blue bloods of the sport. Uh, jo- or Josh Heupel in Tennessee, you know, kind of the, uh, the re-energized, the second coming of the Tennessee volunteers. They've made their way back onto the, the national scene in college football. It's going to be nice having Josh Heupel coming back to Norman. And then, oh, by the way, you're going to round things out with having Shane Beamer, former, uh, you know, associate head coach, former special teams coordinator uh, just a couple of years ago. He's going to be bringing the Gamecocks back to Norman uh, for what should be a, a fantastic showdown between those two teams. And, you know, those are three marquee opponents that Oklahoma's going to have coming to Norman. And then you flip it over to the other side, some of the away games, some of the, uh, you know, the away game destinations that Oklahoma is going to be forced to travel to. The SEC really didn't do uh, the fine folks in Norman any favors whatsoever, st- kicking things off with Auburn. I know that Auburn's not quite what they used to be, you know, over the last few years, but you've got to realize, too, that atmosphere. Uh, Auburn's always going to be a tough matchup, especially once you get late into the season. So that's going to be a tough one for Oklahoma. The two really that stick out for me and Adam, we've talked about this on the podcast. If there were two matchups, two venues that Oklahoma fans could make their way to to try to travel out there, kind of the premier destinations in the Southeastern Conference, OU's getting two of them right off, the, right out of the gate in year one in the SEC. 
traveling to Baton Rouge, to Death Valley to take on the LSU Tigers inside Tiger Stadium. Hopefully that's a night game. I'm very excited to get down to Baton Rouge for that. And then obviously the big one. I know that in terms of you know the, the brand, the prestigious logo on the side of the helmet, Ole Miss doesn't really give you that, but you get a chance to go out to Oxford, partake in the Grove, some of the pregame festivities. The SEC did – no favors whatsoever with Oklahoma. There's no dipping your toe in the water in here. It's jumping straight off the diving board into the deep end. A brutal introduction. We'll t- we'll uh, dive into Texas's schedule here in a minute. They got a pretty favorable draw by comparison. But hey, it's what we signed up for. It's what you want. It's big boy football. Uh, there's nowhere to to run and hide anymore after the 2023 season. So you've got to bring it each and every week, and I'm excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. We just highlighted, if, if you're not uh, listening to us live here on YouTube, you really should be. That's the first time we're, we're trying this out. So we have no idea what to expect, but um, we love the interaction from from people that are, are viewing the content or following us on Twitter. Um, 1982 Boomer Sooner, he also agreed with you. Hey, LSU and uh, Ole Miss, two incredible road games. I think those are probably the main two ones that OU fans really wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. We get them year one in the SEC. And uh, and so I don't know if I'll necessarily be going to any of these games. I kind of think I might let it cool off and maybe go the second time around. Um, but, man, you couldn't ask for a better road schedule. I mean, there's so many uh, interesting opponents. Even Missouri, I think, that'll be a big game. There's a lot of OU fans in Missouri or in Kansas City or St. Louis even that maybe haven't made it out to Norman in a while. I'm sure they'll be looking forward to a, a matchup with the Tigers there, even <laughs> though it might not be as big. The home schedule, like Alabama's huge. Tennessee is, is a is a big-time name. I. I'm kind of unsure, like, what is Tennessee going to be, you know, in 2024? They had a great year last year. What does Joe Milton do this year? Like, what are they going to be poised to be in 2024? Because I believe Milton will be gone at that point. So they'll have another new quarterback uh, for Josh Heupel. And maybe he's maybe he's got that program humming at that point. Maybe Bama's not what we think they are at, at that point. Uh, everyone's kind of down on them this year. I'm not buying that. I'm not, no. uh, you know, writing a eulogy for Nick Saban. I've... People have tried to do that before, and it has never worked out. Um, but, I mean, maybe the, it's got to come to an end at some point for Nick Saban, and maybe he retires. Maybe the program starts to decline a little bit. I, I have no idea. Um, it's, it's just so hard to project out. But as we know things right now, this is a brutal schedule for the Sooners because not only do you have one home game taken away from you by going down to Dallas to play Texas, you have an incredibly tough schedule <laughs> elsewhere, you know, going to LSU Alabama at home, um, you know, at Auburn. I think Auburn's going to be a much different program two years from now than what they are today, uh, potentially with Tennessee. But, like, there's just so many good programs. South Carolina's on the rise. Uh, that's a, a team that, mm-hmm. that comes to Norman. There's just no let-up, no no breaks in that schedule really at all. Even Missouri last year was giving Georgia, you know, the game of their lives at that yeah. point. So um, it's not like Texas's schedule whatsoever, which is a little, quite a bit easier. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's kind of the theme, Adam. You know, no longer are is Oklahoma and especially OU fans are going to be privileged to the fact where being part of the Big 12 Conference, you might have, you know, two to three marquee games that, you know, that you expect each and every year. Texas, Bedlam, you know, there's usually one other team uh, in the fold that, that's always a little bit better than what people expect. But then you also have, you know, games like Kansas, games like Iowa State, you know, maybe Texas Tech where, you know, the, the excitement level isn't just quite there. And, you know, that kind of boils down to the to the team and to the coaching staff as well. Well, but transitioning to the SEC, I mean, you just look at these first eight games that Oklahoma is going to be playing in the SEC. Just look at the coaching matchups that that's Oklahoma is going to be a part of here. Steve Sarkeesian, Nick Saban, Heupel, Shane Beamer, uh, Brian Kelly at LSU, Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. So it, it's it, it's going to be like drinking from a fire hose the, the first couple of years into the SEC. And 
I know that we'll talk about it a little bit more once we get to Champion Barbecue because I do think that one of the things that is going to be a big factor for the overall success of Oklahoma, not just on a week-by-week basis, but in terms of the full season, it's the depth in your roster, especially in the trenches on both the offense and the defensive line. That's something that you look at Oklahoma's roster right now. Yes, it's a little bit better than what we saw from a year ago in 2022. But when you start you know, looking at the fact that you're going to have to go up in back-to-back weeks against Alabama, against Tennessee, you've got to go to Baton Rouge to take on LSU before going out to Oxford to take on Ole Miss. You've got to have a lot of you know quality able bodies on your roster that you know are not just not just bodies, but they're they're guys that you can plug and play into the rotation that can make an impact for you uh, th- throughout the sixty minutes of play. So yeah, uh, it, it, Venables has got to keep stacking up uh, r- ranked recruiting classes. Champion Barbecue is kind of the next installment this upcoming weekend where we can hope to add to the twenty twenty four class. But you know, Adam, it's kind of funny. You look at the schedule for OU this year, just the home games. Oklahoma's two thousand twenty three home slate. UCF, Iowa State, West Virginia, TCU. You fast forward 12 months, Alabama, Tennessee, South Carolina. All three of those opponents as it sits here right now on uh, June 14th are head and shoulders above any of the other four teams that Oklahoma is going to be playing this year. So Venables has got to win some games. He's got to build this roster up. He's got to get this team playing a more physical brand of football uh, because it's coming. It's coming, and uh, it's going to be a huge learning curve and something that Brent Venables and this football team, they're going to have to adjust fast uh, because the SEC takes no prisoners. Definitely. We know two of the non-conference opponents right now in Temple and Tulane. Tulane Still got to schedule a third. Yeah, Tulane might be, be tough. Well, we'll need two more because it's an eight-game conference schedule. Yeah, you got uh, to have two so more. Two more. So I think Temple, you know, that's pretty straightforward. That's, that's fairly easy. Tulane, you know, they might be rebuilding at that point. They may not be what they are going to the Cotton Bowl like they are now. Um, you'll probably have my guess would be an FCS opponent. Get ready now; it's going to be an FCS opponent because that's such a short time frame really to schedule somebody. So I think that's where we're headed there on game three, and maybe that's a game that is in the November time slot the SEC opponents typically have. And, and at this point, with that schedule, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of okay with that. I'm a little bit okay with that to play an FCS opponent in, in November. Well, that's that's par for the course in the SEC. That's how a lot of it these, is, especially bottom feeder teams in that conference, they're able to schedule you know, four very winnable, almost guaranteed wins on their schedule just because the conference slate is so brutal. You just have to pick up two wins out of that eight-game conference schedule essentially to get bowl eligible. So, uh, But it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, especially given the fact that 2024 is going to be the first year of the 12-team playoff format. That's going to be something where, you know, as Oklahoma fans, no longer are you going to have to go out there and, you know, go 10-2 and two or 11-1. and one. This conference is going to be so good from top to bottom, especially adding in Oklahoma and Texas to what's already, you know, the best conference in college football. You know, just, you know, figure out a way to win eight or nine games. You know, even if you only win eight games, figure out a way to beat Alabama at home. That's a huge marquee win. Probably won't be another, you know, better marquee win across the country. So just figuring out a way to, you know, build this roster up, play a tougher, you know, brand of football. Uh, because it's something Oklahoma's going to have to do, and I'm really excited to see how it's going to turn out. Let me ask you this. In regards to non-conference, knowing that this is going to be a really difficult first year for Oklahoma, especially compared to Texas. Texas kind of got off easy a little bit on their first year in the SEC. If you're Joe Castiglione and you need to fill that fourth out-of-conference game with a Power 5 opponent, mm-hmm. I know some names have been thrown out there. Uh, would you rather go with a Washington, NC State variety type of team and say, hey, we're willing to do a home-and-home with a, a school like that because that's what they're going to ask for? Or yeah. do you go after a Rutgers, a Northwestern, that type of program that I think both have openings? 
they'll probably ask for a home and home. I don't know necessarily that they would even really want to play OU because they're already playing tough schedules in the Big Ten. They're trying to get bowl eligible, and you see yeah. this in the SEC. Kentucky and, and South Carolina are probably the most similar programs. They're playing in-state rivals as their Power 5 opponent regularly, but I don't think Kentucky or South Carolina would ever schedule OU because they're trying to get to bowl eligibility. Yeah, you bring up a really good point, and it kind of goes back to the Barry Trammell article that he wrote in the Daily Oklahoma a couple of weeks ago where I think he rattled off five or six teams like you alluded to. Duke and NC State were two of the five uh, that he mentioned. So I think it's kind of an interesting situation that Josie finds himself in. Um, you go down and you look at this A-game you know, conference schedule that Oklahoma is going to be a part of now. You, It's a fine line between wanting to schedule teams where there's a – there's a very, very good chance. It's almost a guarantee that you're going to win. Or do you kind of go the opposite route? And this is kind of the route that, you know, Joe Castiglione and Bob Stoops made famous, you know, during their time in Oklahoma. And Josie continues that it's you want to challenge yourself in the non-conference schedule. You don't want to go on a you don't want to start the season out three and zero against three cupcakes. And then Alabama comes to Norman, Oklahoma. You really don't know what you've got in that locker room because you just simply haven't been tested yet. So if you can try to if you can figure out a way, even if it takes a home and home that you've got to spread out over the course of a few years, schedule an NC State or a Duke, somebody that, yes, it's not it's not the greatest matchup on paper but it's still a power five program. It's still power five division one athletes. And it's a better measuring stick that you can evaluate your football team on as opposed to scheduling, you know, UCO or the Citadel or or something like that. Yeah. As someone that grew up in the Raleigh area, I would love to see a game at NC state or Duke. Um, Either one of those would be uh, really awesome for, for a kid like myself. So um, as far as the rest of the schedule goes, any other thoughts around either OU schedule or anyone else in the SEC? I know Alabama had a pretty brutal one. They're going to Wisconsin. Uh, they're playing a, t- a ton of tough road games between mm-hmm. Wisconsin. I think they're at LSU, at OU. Um, man, that's going to be tough. Alabama's going to get tested again if uh, if they're still you know that vaunted team that we think they will be two years from now. But uh, any other thoughts around scheduling on the SEC before we talk barbecue? Yeah, Alabama got a uh, pretty tough schedule as well. Georgia kind of feels like the uh, the the conference looked at their 2023 schedule and said, okay, we're going to crank this up a few notches for you, fast-forwarding one more year. Good. Georgia's <laughs> got a very tough schedule as well. And then let's uh, let's just kind of look at the team a little bit further south down I-35, the, the Texas Longhorns 2024 schedule. Also, also you know, we, we talked about it just a little while ago, OU being the home team in 2024. That takes away one of the home games. So, by comparison, Texas gets the four SEC conference games in Austin this year. Florida and Georgia, probably the two two of the best three teams from the SEC East from what we've seen over the past few years. So getting those two teams at home is is favorable. Kentucky at home is favorable. You're going to get Mississippi State not having to travel to Starkville. It's going to be nice having the Bulldogs come to your, come to your town. Um, and then you look at the other three, you know, the three games that's going to force Texas to travel away uh, a travel away from from Austin or the Cotton Bowl in Dallas at Arkansas, which many OU fans will remember the last time OU or last time Texas and Arkansas matched up in Fayetteville, uh, Arkansas kind of wiped the floor with them. So that'll be a tough matchup. They get the cupcake game that OU fans were hoping for. They get Texas gets to go to Nashville to take on Vanderbilt, where you know Vanderbilt's kind of a team that. You know, depending on you know, depending on the season, depending on who the quarterback is, they can be competitive for a half or so. Uh, but Steve Sarkeesian's group definitely getting the advantage compared to Oklahoma by getting to play Vanderbilt. And then the return of the Lone Star Showdown, Texas versus Texas A&M. That's one that many many fans, whether you're a fan of A&M or you're a fan of the Longhorns, 
there's a lot of eyeballs that are going to be tuned into that matchup at Kyle Field towards the end of next year. So um, Texas, by comparison to OU, very favorable draw, but what else would you expect? Well, I, I don't think there's a better way to illustrate this than what we tweeted out from our account about an hour ago when the schedule was released. On OU's schedule of SEC opponents, only one team that averaged fewer than six wins per year over the last mm-hmm. five years, and that's mm-hmm. South Carolina at 5.6. They're definitely a program on the rise under Shane Beamer. On the other hand, Texas had both Arkansas at 4.6 uh, wins, you know, average over five years, and Vandy, who was at 3.2. Now they had OU that was at 10. They had Georgia that was at 12. Um, but overall, I think... Texas's schedule is very manageable, especially considering that one of their road games, actually the three road games they have are A&M. Yeah, that's going to be a, a crazy game. But the other two are Arkansas and Vandy. So all the good teams come to Austin, basically, at that point, other than OU, which is neutral. So, mm-hmm. man, what a gift the Longhorns got. Um, and so I think in summary, the, the takeaway that I have from the schedule is, yeah, it's going to be exciting. It's, it's great to have some of these you know big opponents, but – the urgency just got cranked up another notch. The uh, the pressure on Brent Venables, the pressure on Jackson Arnold, yes. the pressure on Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis to produce this year, you know, two, three months, whenever the, the I guess the three season starts here in about two and a half months now, the pressure is even more immense than it was. And it was already extremely high here, but there's, there's no favors done for the Sooners. They're going into, uh, you know, just an absolute uh, brutal schedule in the SEC. And there's a lot of things they got to get right. Um, they got to uh-huh. get this team functioning at a much higher level because, um, you know, things can go south really quickly with a schedule like this. If you haven't done much, you know, it's, it's a, what have you done for me lately? Uh, fan base, sport, etc. So I think that kind of transitions well into the barbecue weekend, which is coming up uh, the biggest recruiting weekend of the summer. There's going to be a lot of big names on campus. There's going to be uh, multiple five stars uh, on the defense side of the ball. Mm-hmm. But uh, Tyler, you know, for your, from your perspective, which recruits are you keeping a close eye on here? Well, I think that you definitely, you know, especially with the release of the SC schedule with Oklahoma transitioning into that conference where, Success in that league is highly predicated upon how well you can play in the trenches. So for me, it starts on the de- defensive line group from, for, for OU. For Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis this weekend, Miguel Chavis, obviously he's landed his fair share of elite recruits You know, within the last couple of cycles, specifically P.J. Atabari. But I'm looking at Todd Bates in, the, in, in this particular conversation here, and for me, Todd Bates, there, there's been so much talk about, you know, it's 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 relationship-driven. He's the guy that's able to connect with these kids. He's able to connect with these families. And by all accounts, he 1,000% does. But we're not at Clemson anymore. You're 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 recruiting what, – what Oklahoma has to deal with or what Todd Bates has to deal with at Oklahoma is completely different than some of the things that he was able to take advantage of during his time at Clemson, especially being just a couple hours away uh, from the Atlanta, Georgia area. So for me, I'm sticking in the defensive line group. David Stone, who's already on campus now, he's on his official visit, five-star from IMG, the number three ranked defensive lineman according to the on three rankings. But just going down this list, Adam, of some of the, we've got six guys that are going to be in Norman this weekend, all on their official visits that are part of this defensive line uh, recruiting. 
David Stone, Joseph Jonah Ajanye, Nigel Smith, Dominic McKinney, the kid out of Louisiana who's going to be tough to pull away uh, for, from the Tigers. That's kind of the uh, the unspoken rule uh, with uh, recruiting in the state of Louisiana. But then you've also got Jay Sean Ross, the kid out of Kansas City, Missouri, who from everything that we've heard, that might be one of the next recruits that's getting ready to pop to make that commitment to Brent Venables, saying that he's all in. And uh, to, to, like I said, man, you've got David Stone, you've got Nigel Smith coming on campus here. Um, Nigel Smith is just coming off of a visit to Penn State. Uh, he's feeling the love out in Big Ten country. Joseph Jonah Jaune, who Oklahoma, from everything that we heard, led for him coming off of his last visit to Oklahoma. He makes the trip out to Georgia a few days after the fact, and he's riding the post-visit high. Now everybody's flipping their, their forecasts and their crystal balls to the Bulldogs for JJA. It's going to be very important for Todd Bates this weekend, and I think it's going to be an all-hands-on-deck type of effort. You've got to do an all-out blitz this weekend on that defensive line class because going into the SEC, I know that the talent has improved with with uh, the room that's currently in Norman, Oklahoma right now, but we're going to be losing a handful of those guys going into next season. We, all, we talked about Derek LeBlanc. He's in the transfer portal. He's leaving. You cannot go into next season – Yes, they're going to be true freshmen, but you cannot go into next season without nailing two to three of those guys that can come in and instantly be part of your rotation in the SEC conference. So I'm looking at the defensive line group, Adam. Starts with Stone, Nigel Smith. Figure out a way, see if you can make up some ground on JJA and see if we can't land a couple of these guys. I'm in agreement there. I I think David Stone, Nigel Smith, those are the two names that everyone's kind of saying, yeah, OU feels pretty comfortable with those guys, but – Now's the time to slam the door shut. Mm-hmm. Nobody else gets in on that. And I think we saw Clemson do that with Sammy Brown. It wasn't a guy that I think a lot of OU fans were saying, yeah, we're, we think he's going to go to OU. But yeah. you would have liked to have had Sammy Brown visit and mm-hmm. take your chances. Um, but Clemson did that. Um, they did it with Bryant Wesco, the wide receiver that we all thought, hey, OU's probably right there, maybe you know, a high two at, at worst. And Clemson shut the door on him too. Now's the time for OU to do the same thing. These guys that are coming on campus, David Stone and Nigel Smith, now's the time. Like, you guys got to get in the boat here, uh, in my opinion. Start building this class. Um, you know, start uh, getting other guys to come alongside you and shut the door on Ohio State. Shut the door on Miami or, or Texas A&M or whoever else it might be. Like, these are our guys. We're building for the SEC. You have to hit these guys. You have mm-hmm. to make a hit on them. And then you mentioned Dominique uh, McKinley and Joseph Jonah Ajanye, two guys that don't seem to be super high on on OU's potential right now. But we saw last year, the barbecue weekend, a lot of guys came into the boat for OU. Now, OU didn't end up with all those guys necessarily. Um, you know, they, they wandered away at certain points. But you have to say, hey, that ability is there for Todd Bates, for Brent Venables, for Miguel Chavis to make such a big impact that can they reverse a trend or can they get a guy like uh, Dominic McKinley to say, mm-hmm. yes, I'm on board. Uh, you know, OU's my, my leader at this point. And, and worry about LSU down the road. Like, they're going to be a threat and all that, but um, at least turn the table so that you have a chance with some of these guys. Uh, and we're not going to option three, four, five, uh, mm-hmm. like we were towards mm-hmm. the end of last year. Um, you know, I, I think overall, even options three, four, and five are better than most of what Lincoln Riley was getting during his era. But, uh, yeah, you have to build a, a strong foundation there. On the other side of the ball for offense, is there a name that you're you're looking for there? Let, let me let me put a bow on this defensive line recruiting. Okay. And let, me, let me make one last point here. We can sit here and talk about with Miguel Chavis and Todd Bates and Brent Venables and Ted Roof talking about how we're a relationship-driven recruiting staff. 
This is what this is what our bread and butter is. This is what we pride ourselves on building the relationship with these kids, with these families. But at the end of the day, the relationship and especially with the way that with recruits prioritize things when it comes to making their college decision right now, the relationship only gets you so far. And I think that one of the things that Oklahoma, one of the biggest things that they're fighting right now is the fact that they're coming off of a six and seven year. So you can say all the right things. You can take these guys to the nicest places to eat. You can, you know, put 25 different gift bags uh, in their hotel room. But at the end of the day, you've got to go out there this fall and you've got to perform. You've got to show these five or six defensive line recruits that, hey, we can stop the run. We've got guys that are consistently getting into the backfield. The, de- the defensive scheme that Brent Venables started with here at Oklahoma took to Clemson and was elite was number one defensive coordinator in the country he's brought that back in oklahoma and we're no longer selling a vision of what we can do to OU. we're selling the results and what we're what what we're actually seeing on the field over the next few months and that's something that's going to be big for for uh, uh team 129 this upcoming fall because relationships that only gets you so far the proof is in the pudding you've got to go out there you've got to make the plays you've got to win football games and uh, the pressure is on Brent Venables this year, especially with the SEC looming in 2024. Flipping it over, Adam, I'll throw this over to you first. Who's a what's a position group or maybe a guy uh, that that uh, Oklahoma needs to make a make an impact with uh, this upcoming weekend? I'll go a little bit, I think, off the radar. Someone that not many people are talking about. How about Samaj Jones, the quarterback? Also, the 2024 class. He's visiting. Uh, I believe if I'm looking at my list right. He's going to be there at the same time as Michael Hawkins. Yep. Uh, from what I'm seeing here. Yeah. Which is interesting. Uh, I'm curious what the coaches have told both of these players because it sure sounds like we're pushing as hard for Samaj Jones as, as we were for Michael Hawkins. Mm-hmm. And I think you really do want two quarterbacks in this class because we're looking at basically Jackson Arnold in 2024 and Michael Hawkins, and that's about it at this point. So. Um, yeah, I think you really would like to have Samaj Jones in there, and maybe he's a guy that never really touches the field for OU. If, if things go well, that's that's great. You know, that's what you want. Maybe he transfers back to West Virginia or Penn State or whatever, but mm-hmm. uh, I think you definitely want a lot more bodies there and a lot more competition because um, that room can get thin pretty quickly. Sure hate to have to play someone like Samaj Jones or even Michael Hawkins in year one in the SEC, but... Um, I think you definitely need some some more guys there, but I think there's a position group that you might be taking here that definitely needs uh, some some ramp up on the recruiting trail. Well, it, I mean, offensive line is definitely one that, that I'm considering, but uh, I think the big recruiting weekend was this past weekend where Oklahoma had a few more of their main targets in, in Norman right now. Uh, the big one for me this upcoming weekend, uh, the big guy that's going to be on campus, six foot eight, three hundred thirty pounds. Uh, Bennett Warren out of Sugarland, Texas. Huge. The uh, on three's got him ranked as the number eleven overall offensive tackle in the country. Oklahoma, hate to say it, they are trailing by a wide margin to the Michigan Wolverines. So Bill Beanbow, uh, he's got his work cut out for him this weekend. I know that this is a guy uh, just a few couple of hours down the road. Obviously, it makes a little bit more sense geographically for this kid to go to Did, Norman. Didn't Michigan, Michigan do like a picture of him with like a giant dump truck or something like that? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's the guy. That, what, that's the should, picture. We should, I mean, what's the Oklahoma version of that? Like getting one of those like giant like uh, uh, blades from like the uh, the propellers, that the solar farms basically, well, or the wind farms? Let's turnip seed up to the, uh, to, to the military base and have him bring a tank back. I think a that's tank a little, or like yeah, that's a little get bit him out more, at like uh, an oil derrick or something like yeah, that. Yeah, just do something. <laughs> just do something yeah. to kind of one-up Michigan and, uh, and Jim Harbaugh. But, yeah, Bennett Warren's another one for me. And, you know, Adam, t- two more here, and we'll make this quick. 
linebacker, you look at this recruiting class that, that Brent Venables has got going wrong right now for the 2024. Obviously, um, there, there was a kid that, that Oklahoma thought that they felt really good about, thought that this was a kid that could have an opportunity to come in and, you know, not just play at Oklahoma, but that he had the potential to, to come in and be a guy for Oklahoma. And then out of nowhere, he commits, he commits to Illinois, and it kind of feels like that door's closed with how strongly this guy feels about what Brett Billum is doing up there uh, with the fighting Illini. Uh, so the linebacker position, there's only two that are going to be coming into Oklahoma this weekend on their official visits. James Nesta, the four-star kid out of Cornelius, North Carolina, kind of up there in your neck of the woods, Adam, a little bit. And then Michael Boganowski is going to be making his way down from Junction City, Kansas, the number one overall player in the state of Kansas. He's a three-star, I know, doesn't look like, you know, uh, especially on paper. Do you think he's maybe a safety? He's 6'2", 195 is what he's listed right now. I think some people kind of have him as a hybrid. And I know the the funny thing for OU yeah, fans to say is, well, he's the cheetah. Like, but Yeah, well, every, everybody wants to be the cheetah coming out of yeah. high school when you when you come play to Oklahoma. And I, I think that he's they've got him pegged to be uh, to be more of a linebacker. I mean, let's not forget Lewis Carter going into his senior year. He was still sub-200. Um, mm-hmm. So this is a guy that obviously he's got the frame and the size and the athleticism to still put on probably a good 15 to 20 more pounds, you know, before his time is done here. Normally. So the, the linebacker position is one for me. And then I'm going to close it out Adam, with this. I know that we're could potentially be getting some good news on the running back front. That's the most that we're going to say on this podcast. Uh, we did hear uh, some good rumblings today from some stuff going on behind the scenes in Norman this week during Brent Venables football camp. Um, but we've got, arguably two of the top running backs in the country, both just a couple hours away, one coming from Longview, Texas, Taylor Tatum, four-star on three. He's got this kid rated as the number one overall back in the country. Oklahoma's kind of fighting an uphill battle right now with USC. They just got the last visit for Tatum. And then next guy, and this is, if I could pick one running back for DeMarco Murray to lock up in this class, it's got to be the product out of Duncanville, Texas, four-star Kane Durham. Yes, I know he's only five foot nine, 195 pounds, but when you talk about speed there's a difference between speed and elite track speed and this durham kids got that from top to bottom you watch this, this kid's film i know he's rated a little bit f- f- uh, lower on the uh, on the pecking order than tatum on three he's got him ranked right now as the number eight overall running back but demarco murray needs to figure out a way this weekend to land one of these two guys uh because oklahoma's got to have another running back uh coming going into next season and you definitely want to get into that Duncanville pipeline because there are Absolutely. so many. I mean, they have elite linemen all the time. Colin um, Simmons, yeah. the top 10 player in the country. Uh, that's I know a school that, they're going to be getting him. Yeah, but that's a school that OU hasn't done nearly as well with in the DFW area. So getting a guy from that school, even if he's at running back, that you know OU maybe doesn't need as much help. Like you could go get any number of different running backs around the country. Sure. And that OU's found a way to produce at that position uh, with pretty much anybody. Um, but getting that connection is, is a big one. So hopefully we have some great news to talk about next week because uh, next week we've got a great guest lined up. Captain 405 is uh, going to join us on the podcast. Um, if you're not familiar with him, you should be. You should be following him on Twitter. He's a guy that he's at these camps. He's he's in you know with a lot of the coaches in that DFW area and around the state of Oklahoma as well. So a guy that's very knowledgeable about everything that's going on in the recruiting world, uh, usually before – before I see information on other pay sites. I'll just put it that way. So I'm excited to have him on the podcast next week to go a lot more in-depth on some of the you know mindsets that these players are going through, some of the reactions that they get from the barbecue uh, weekend, and then hopefully we can start to put some of the pieces together around, okay, here's who we have. 
here's what we need to go do going forward. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to have the captain on next week. Adam, uh, if you're if you're this coaching there. staff, if you're this coaching staff at the Champion Barbecue this weekend, obviously we just had the big reveal, the big announcement. Oh, you going to the uh, SEC next year? These are the eight opponents. Are you playing that up to these recruits that are on campus? Like, hey, you have the opportunity to come on and not just play right away, but you're going to be part of this team that's going to take on these eight SEC opponents in the uh, inaugural season of OU uh, of OU football. I kind of think of it like before we were talking about, hey, we're going to the five-star restaurant. We're going to the five-star restaurant. Get excited. And now we can say, here's the menu. Mm-hmm. You know, what would you like to order, essentially? And so now it's a lot more, uh, you know, tangible. It's something that you can kind of hold on to and be like, oh, okay, I can envision myself with the OU jersey mm-hmm. on hosting Alabama here in Norman on this field that I'm standing on next to, you know, the Lamborghini or whatever it is that they're going to be taking photos with uh, this upcoming weekend. So I I think that's huge. I I do think you're playing that up. Absolutely. Especially with Alabama. Um, You would love to have, you know, Williams Winery in this weekend because Tennessee's coming to Norman then as well. So I think you'd be playing that up as well. Like, Hey, you need to be on this sideline rather than that sideline because you will be a winner over here in 2024 when Tennessee comes to town, Mm -hmm. which he was in. It seems like that that visit went well. I'm sure we'll ask the captain about that next week, get a little more detail there. But, um, but yeah, I think that's definitely something they're going to be playing playing up quite a bit. Yeah, that's all I've got on it, man. We want to uh, do we want to kind of end the show on a uh, less positive note, a little bit more somber. Yeah, topic. Yeah. I'll kind of let you. Uh, well, let's just kind of dive into this. Obviously, now that the initial shock is worn off, and that is you know Oklahoma's you know ace pitcher uh, for OU softball, Jordy Ball. Uh, made the decision a couple of days ago. She's going to be transferring uh, away from the University of Oklahoma. She's going to be going back closer to home. From everything that we heard, it kind of feels like Nebraska. That's the safe bet on where Jordy's going to end up. So, you know, Adam, just kind of your initial overall thoughts uh, on this move. I know that we've the, the group chat's kind of been on fire uh, the last couple of days <laughs> talking about this. You know, was it right? You know, is it justifiable? Is her legacy set in stone like so many OU fans have talked about? Just kind of what are your thoughts on Jordy, what she's meant to this program, and obviously the decision that she's made uh, to, to move back closer to home. It's um, it's so unprecedented, really, with any sport. You don't really see someone with this level of success just walk away um, with without any other, like, unusual circumstances. Um, you know, uh, it's not for us to speculate. She only gave us that, hey, basically, uh, it, you know, she said basically, hey, I just want to be home. She's homesick, essentially. And that's fair. Like you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to transfer. You're allowed to, um, go back home. Like some people value that quite a bit. That's, that's awesome. Um, you know, go for that. Um, I, I, I guess it's, and I'm trying to be careful with how I say this. Exactly. I appreciate everything that she's done. I'm, I'm very grateful. I'm very, uh, respectful of, of what she brought to the OU. She gave, um, you know, everything she had for two years, and she said, you know, I'm done with that. And that's her choice. She's allowed to do that. I wish her success. I I assume she's going to go to Nebraska. She didn't necessarily say that, which was kind of interesting. I assume that's where she's going to end up. And I hope she does well. I hope she's able to elevate that program. Um, but at the same time, you you forfeit some things by walking away from OU. You know, you're you're not going to be remembered at the same level, in my opinion, as someone who stays here for four years, you know, like a Jada Coleman who's not playing at home <laughs> like a tra jennings who's playing really far from home or jocelyn mm-hmm. Allo, who's playing across an ocean from really home. far from home um and everyone's different you know not everyone's going to want to be near home uh you know i 
I live thousands of miles away from where I grew up uh, in Oklahoma. Uh, I grew up in North Carolina. I went through some of that homesickness, um, you know, and I didn't have, I wasn't in college. I wasn't returning back home. I was out here working professionally in Oklahoma. So I kind of know what that's like. And sometimes you just need to get over the hump. And if it was me in those shoes, I probably would have done it differently. I probably would have said, hey, you know, two years, I think I can make it through. Um, you know, financially, it's going to be a huge benefit for me. Uh, you know, I'm going to win a couple more championships probably. I'm probably going to get a, a statue of myself outside the stadium that I'm going to come back and visit someday with my kids and my <laughs> grandkids. And, you know, I can I can adjust some of the pressure aspects. You know, I can ask for, hey, maybe I don't want to be the starter every time. Maybe I want to come be a closer or something like that. There's a lot of things I can change uh, about that and say, hey, it's two more years. I can find some ways around that. Maybe I take even the fall semester off, for example. I don't know if that's even possible with NCAA rules, but uh, potentially taking a semester off to spend more time at home. But I don't know. I'm, I'm not Jordy. I can't make that decision. She's she's allowed to do whatever she wants. Um, and again, I'm grateful for the two years. But um, but at the same time, I feel like you do forfeit some things as far as your legacy as a Sooner because you, I don't want to say the word quit, but like you did, you said, hey, I, I just don't want this anymore. And that's okay to do. Mm-hmm. But it, sure. it's it's different than the other players that are also going through the same pressures that are also away from home that are choosing to stay for four years. You know, Adam, we started hearing kind of some rumblings about this on Saturday, but we really didn't put much talk into it because kind of our overall consensus with what our thought process was is there's no way that Jordy Ball, who just four days earlier helped Oklahoma win their third straight national championship, earning herself World Series MVP honors. And in the process, that's two rings in two years. We thought there's no chance in hell that Jordy Ball would make the decision that she did to transfer from the University of Oklahoma. But as we started learning more and more about the situation, I think it became apparent real fast that this had this had everything to do with her being homesick, wanted to get back closer to her family, to her boyfriend, and had pretty much nothing to do with Patty Gasso and, and the softball that is OU, uh, or the, the machine that is OU softball right now. But when you talk about the legacy that is left behind, two rings in two years, dominant, especially this last season she finished the year with a you know less than one era that's absolutely unheard of but the opportunity that she would have had staying at a place like oklahoma she would have given ou which again it's still highly possible as long as patty gas is in norman oklahoma softball is going to be just fine we're probably going to be the preseason favorite to win a fourth consecutive national championship next year but all that aside jordy would have had the opportunity to do something that has never been done before in the history of collegiate softball winning a fourth consecutive national championship, but then also coming back for her senior year and her having the opportunity to win four rings in four years. That's never been done before in the history of college softball. And she would have been the best player on the best team at the most important position in the sport. So yeah, legacy, I I can, I can understand where you're talking about that a little bit, but I do think that one of the things, and again, we're, we're speculating on a few things here. There's a couple things that we're going to shy away from. I think that one of the, one of the things that Patty talked about in the post game, and you know, even going back and listening to some of the post game interviews that Jordy gave to to some of the the local media, pressure kind of took away the enjoyment from playing the game for for this softball team. So I can understand the fact when when you're playing on a team where, regardless of if you're playing UCLA or you're playing San Jose State, Central California, whatever the pressure is on you to go out there and win every single game. And even if you don't win, even if you win by one run, people come away from that game thinking, well, what, what's wrong? It's simply not good enough. 
So I, I get where they're talking about from the standpoint of pressure taking away from the enjoyment, from the love of playing the game of softball. But that's also kind of what you sign up for when you play at a place like Oklahoma. So, again, love and appreciate everything that Jordy Ball did. She was She's going to be welcome back here anytime. I hope that OU schedules Nebraska next season in a non-conference game if that's where she ends up because she deserves the opportunity to come back to Oklahoma, get the curtain call, do the final farewell send-off. She's earned that with what she gave to this program. But uh, it, it's not fair for, for any of us to sit here and judge her for the decision that she made. We can dissect it. We can weigh the pros and cons. But at the end of the day, this is her life. This is her opportunity. This is her decision. And uh, you got to applaud her because it it take. I can't even imagine being a fly on the wall in that room with Jordy when she sat down and she told Patty and Ben Rocha what her plans were, what she was walking away from Oklahoma, the opportunity that she was leaving behind with this team, with this program. I can only, I can't even imagine the guts and the courage that it took for her to do that. Um, so yeah, I hate to see her go, but wish her nothing and, the best. And I don't want it to get lost, like. I think we're we're being more realistic about the situation than maybe some people. I think some people say, oh, all you can do is thank her and respect her. I'm like, yes, you can do that. You can also at the same time being very thankful and being very respectful of her also say, you know, I, I probably would have done it differently. And I'm also going to elevate other players that are going through the same challenges mm-hmm. and saying, you know, they're going to have a better legacy at the same time. And that's okay. Like that's her choice. She's she's able to go do that. I hope she is happy. I hope that she marries her boyfriend and doesn't regret this. You know, like breaks up with him in three weeks or something crazy like that. Um, oh I hope God. it works all out well for her. You know, like. <laughs> but uh, you know, um, and I, I say that because you know, people have crazy relationships. I don't think she does. I think she's very mature. But um, you know, you always wonder. Here's about college. Here's coaches. what I'll say on this, Adam. This will be my final take on it. At the end of the day. The person is more important than the athlete. And if she if she thought that the opportunity for her to go back closer to home, to be closer to her family, to be closer to her boyfriend, her grandparents, have an opportunity to have an opportunity to grow the game in the Midwest and possibly do something for Nebraska, if that's where she plays, possibly do something for Nebraska softball that's never been done before in the history of that program. I get it. Because at the end of the day, if you're not happy with yourself, you're not happy with anything else. So I applaud her for, for making that decision, doing what was best for her, chasing after you know, what, what she thought was going to give her the, the greatest fulfillment of joy in her life. Um, so, yeah, I, we, we hate to see her go, but you've got to applaud her for the courage and the fact that she was able to make the decision. And she's doing this for you know not, not just her friends and her family, but she's doing what's best for Jordy. And that's all you can really ask of somebody. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I hope she does well. Yeah, hopefully I do too. I do too. I don't really want to see her in Oklahoma City because I feel like that would be kind of awkward in a way. I'd, but I also want her to be successful. So I guess bring it on. Like get to (laughs) Oklahoma City, but maybe don't face OU. That just feels a little. And if she does face OU, I hope OU puts ten runs on her. Yeah, but that's part of. We're going to be cheering for every other every other opponent that she faces, but she matches up against OU. Then you know we're on this side (laughs) for a reason. So yeah, then you can do about that. Yeah, I, I'm not at all worried about like where OU goes from here. Um, you know, I, I think I don't know why Nicole May and this fan base just can't get on the same page. I mean, I think she's elite. She's she's not perfect, but um, I think she can be a you know a number one pitcher for OU. I think Kirsten Deal is, is legit, and 
you may not get, you know, a, a better pitcher than those two, but I, I think that's really good. I think you can roll with that. Like, a mm-hmm. lot of teams roll out with two pitchers, and, and maybe they have a third or fourth that maybe are a little bit lesser that you could use just for depth throughout the season to kind of keep those top two fresh. But, you know, I'm, I'm not worried if, if OU doesn't get a big transfer name. And I know OU fans focus around like the two best pitchers they saw in the postseason because it's hard to follow the entire sport and we don't know all the other names and so you fans just think about the two names they saw in the postseason adam we but... didn't we didn't know who alex Starocco was exactly this time a yeah. year ago before she so, transferred to oklahoma and she just had one of the best yeah. seasons ever hope trotwine was a, a player that OU had faced at, at north texas but you know it's kind of like oh they're they're a smaller school and you know she helped us win a national championship the year before yeah. so there's going to be someone that d- jumps in, and if Alex, if, if Nicole May and Kirsten Deal are your top two, this team's fine. This team's fine. Like we're, we're going to get some other hitters fine. as well. There's there's so much depth across the board, and I mean, you look at uh, you know the defense that's behind Jordy Ball. Like much of that still comes back. Jada mm-hmm. Coleman is an elite center fielder uh, on defense. Tiara Jennings could potentially go to shortstop, but she's right there in that middle infield. So. Um, there's a lot of great defenders around those pitchers that make them look so much better than they actually are in some cases. And so yeah. that's not going anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. Not not to discredit Jordy, like she was getting strikeouts. That, that you mm-hmm. know, That's all pitcher at that point. You know, um, Adam, but, we've... Yo, go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, like, that that was kind of the point. Is like, I'm not, not at all worried. I, she's been probably placed on a pedestal more than any other pitcher in program history. Mm-hmm. And so I think that worries some of you fans, but... Like, this is a team game still at the same time. We've talked about this across multiple sports. I kind of feel like over the past few years with OU that no one player is bigger than the program. And for me, as 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 big of a loss as this is, and I don't want to diminish it, you, Oklahoma just lost arguably the best player and hands down the best pitcher in the country. 1,000%. No arguing that whatsoever. But the last time I checked, as long as Patty Gasso – is is leading the charge as long as she's the head coach and as long as Jada Coleman and Tiari Jennings and all of these all of these girls are going to be back next year I fully expect Oklahoma to make some moves in the transfer portal bring in a couple of difference makers like they did a year ago both in the field and in the and in the pitching staff as well Oklahoma's going to be fine just give it some time once we you know fast forward seven or eight more months once softball season once practice gets going once the season uh, turns the corner Oklahoma's going to be fine. Um, and, Adam, I, I've got two two last things for you, one football, one baseball. I want to talk about this because, ultimately, when when you look at Oklahoma going into the SEC for their first year, you can't help but make comparisons. Look back at Missouri and Texas A&M going into their first year. Texas A&M ultimately had the Heisman Trophy winner, the best player in school history in Johnny Manziel, but he was also a freshman. Going into this, going into SEC year one for Texas A&M, Jackson Arnold is in the same shoes right now. He's he's going to be in the same spot, given the same opportunity. If you're Jackson Arnold, what's going through your head right now when you look at this schedule? You know that Dylan Gabriel is not going to be on campus next year. You're going to be handed the keys to this Ferrari, and it's your uh, it's your time to drive it going into the SEC. I think Jackson Arnold is just praying that the freshman and sophomore offensive linemen are legit this year. And that PJ Adabare on the other side is all these hyped up to be and more because the difference between A&M and Missouri was Johnny Manziel, best player in school history, possibly difference maker. And then Missouri was a pretty healthy program, I believe led by James Franklin, not the Penn State head coach, but <laughs> yeah. a quarterback by the same name. I'm pretty sure I have that name right. 
the weirdest, you know, college football player to remember, but that was a program that was really healthy and was kind of a curveball. That was a Big 12 team playing against SEC defenses that were not used to playing that, and so they found yeah, a lot exactly. of success there. OU is neither of those. Uh, maybe Jackson Arnold is the elite player that Johnny Manziel is, potentially, hopefully, <laughs> but they're not a healthy program right now, and they're not a curveball in the SEC. So mm-hmm. um, got to get healthy this year. You have to. Like, yeah. Well, and, and Johnny also had a, Johnny also had a couple of first-round offensive linemen. He had Mike Evans, Ryan Swope, Oklahoma – as it sits right now, I don't forecast them having. We have a Ryan Swope. Well, yeah, Kevin Freeman. <laughs> to an, yeah, to an extent, we'll see. I expect big things out of eighty-two this upcoming season. Last thing for you, Adam, uh, and this this ties in with Oklahoma baseball. Kendall Rogers just broke the news just a few minutes ago. OU baseball will hire Todd Butler as its new recording, uh, uh, new recording. Uh, excuse me, damn, can't talk. New recruiting coordinator. Uh, Butler has extensive SEC experience at Arkansas, Alabama, and was previously a head coach at Wichita State. From looking at the looking at the comments within this post, seems like this is a fantastic hire for Skip Johnson's bunch. The former head coach at Wichita State. Former head coach at Wichita State. Uh, okay. He was AD for External Affairs at McNeese most recently. I'll have to do some more digging on him, but that could potentially be a really Sounds good like an hire. upgrade. Yeah, there's a, there, I think there was something stupid, like 31 Wichita State players in the portal. So, I mean, and there's some really good ones at that. So that would be a guy that you probably want to have on this staff. And I know we've heard a couple of things about how maybe some of these uh, coaches in the past haven't hit the recruiting trail nearly as hard as maybe they, mm-hmm. they could. Um, so maybe this SEC move is kind of a, a kick in the, the seat of the pants to, hey, like, Look at who's all doing the hosting over here. And I know not many of them made it to Omaha at the end of the day. Uh, it's very tough to do that. But, um, yeah, you have to recruit a whole lot better. And we saw that, uh, hey, this year when we had all these guys that, that left the program, uh, we didn't, you know, we had an adjustment period before this team got back on track towards the end of the year. So um, that's, that's very exciting. Uh, we'll see. Uh, and maybe we'll have some more opportunity to talk baseball as the offseason continues. I hope we have more good news to talk about there. But, uh that's exciting, um, especially coming off a year where we had uh, a record high in fan attendance. So you love to see it. Yeah, that's all I've got, Adam. Let's uh, close it out, man. Let's get us out of here. Yeah. Well, appreciate everyone watching, listening. Uh, we're on YouTube Live this week, so we appreciate those that jumped in uh, with the live comments as well. And uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter as well, at the Mainline Pod. Been working on a few little graphics that uh, I think people really enjoy. Shared a few with Tyler. Uh, they seem pretty hype. We'll see if we're able to use them maybe uh, this weekend with some good news uh, from the barbecue weekend. Please, so. God. We need <laughs> linemen. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for participating this week. We will see everyone again next week to wrap up the barbecue weekend with Captain 405. And, uh, again, appreciate everyone listening. See you next week.